Okay, so I've got a few things to share about equanimity. How many people were here last time? Yeah, okay, some. Okay, cool. About there, yeah, okay. So, just appreciating that, uh, that you're here, you know, that folks showed up, that as, um, Poppy was saying, you know, there's other things folks were doing tonight that you might have done that might have been more, I don't know, beguiling or I'm sure there's all kinds of things being streamed everywhere, but you came here and not that here is more like here together, this kind of here, here inwardly. That's pretty amazing, you know, to, to, uh, to, to lean toward ultimate freedom. And so just briefly, and somehow this is kind of a brief talk anyway, but last time we explored renunciation in terms of kind of in a, in a, in our lives way, in the stickiness of how we navigate, how we navigate life. And that renunciation isn't, you know, I talked a little bit about the Judeo-Christian sense of things where renunciation would be not doing the fun things because it's sinful or something. Not, I'm not dissing Christians at all, but just as it's baked into our culture a little bit, you know, like renunciation is self-denial. And, you know, we tend to get attached to the pleasant sensation of the six sense doors, ears, nose, touch, taste, eyes, and mind. And we kind of grasp after those experiences thinking they'll bring us happiness. And sometimes we try to get, you know, ahead of someone else. So we'll get the better stuff. And that gets pretty subtle and subtle things. You might kind of speed up a little bit to get in first in line in the shopping center, or maybe we, you know, get the bigger piece of pie when it's going around or something like that, you know, little things. Um, but kind of leaves us nothing but a sugar crash and kind of a sense of, of, uh, you know, hangover or letdown. It doesn't, it doesn't really ultimately get us anywhere in our conventional lives. So renunciation is kind of a skillful understanding of choices we make in that, in that level and just how we, how we navigate, how we don't turn toward things to bring us happiness, but realize that ultimately won't work. And the suttas, I love this term the Buddha uses in one sutta called delight in forms and other sense doors. But he's really naming the idea that this might be delightful, but then it doesn't necessarily and ultimately work. So, we're not cultivating renunciation out of self-denial, but rather because the end result of grasping isn't satisfactory. It's no fun at all. In this sutta, and it's Samyutta Nikaya 35, 136, which I'm sure you remember. Why don't I, I'll just say Samyutta Nikaya 35, but anyway, you might find it interesting to write it down. Who knows? You could do that. It's called Delight in Forms. And the Buddha says, monks... Devas and humans delight in forms, are delighted with forms, rejoice in forms. With the change, fading away, and cessation of forms, devas and humans dwell painfully. Devas and humans delight in sounds, delight in odors, delight in tastes, delight in tactile objects, delight in mental objects, are delighted with mental objects, rejoice in mental objects. But with the change, fading away, and cessation of mental objects, 
devas and humans dwell painfully. So that's just kind of this practical understanding of how it is, you know, that everything changes and that if we really try to posit our happiness on any of those sense doors continually being pleasant, it won't work. So we're going to be disappointed. And dwelling painfully is, you know, that's not a win. I mean, that's that's not much of a result that any of us would aspire to. So when you get clear from that, clear in this, it, it makes it easier to renounce the most egregious of attachments. And I think everyone here probably works on that to varying degrees. So right in our ordinary lives, sort of like worldly renunciations, kind of what we talked about last time, this will bring happiness in our daily lives, just to not get stuck on stuff. But tonight is the second of these two things. I want to take renunciation a step further and explore how connected it is with awakening itself, with the goal of the Dharma, how in an ultimate sense, renunciation is a path of awakening from of freedom, from being bound inwardly in a, in a very subtle area. So in Samyutta Nikaya 35, 118, the Buddha said, there are, he's speaking to uh, devas, to the Lord of the devas at this point. There are, Lord of the devas, mental objects cognizable by the mind that are wished for, desired, agreeable, of a pleasing nature, connected with sensuality, enticing. If a monk does not delight in them, does not welcome them, and does not remain holding to them, as he does so, his consciousness does not become dependent on them and staying clinging to them. A monk without clinging attains nibbana. This is the cause. This is the reason why some beings here attain nibbana in this present life. Now, isn't that just this incredibly simple little definition of what nibbana is, not clinging? You know, it's just saying if a monk doesn't cling, they attain nibbana which sounds, oh, okay, that's simple. But actually, as we know, it's not. And it has layers and layers and layers of what clinging is. But still that, you know, that phrase not clinging that comes up so many times in the teaching, this is one little capsulation of it that I think really, really uh, is, is useful. So it's the nature of the Dharma. You know, it's like this almost like holographic that, what do they say in Tibetan practices, 84,000 teachings of the Buddha or or ways to awakening, they say, that different aspects of our hearts and minds and how we practice are all doorways to awakening. So it's funny, like in this position, you'll hear teachers say, oh, this is the most important thing, or that's the most important thing, and they kind of all are. So they're not contradicting us, just looking at it from different points of view. And in, in this tradition, you know, we talk about insight into the nature of reality from mindfulness practice. That's that's why we sit. That's the doorway we usually work with. That is how we, how we're working on awakening. But renunciation taken to its kind of ultimate condition is another doorway, another way of really looking at the same thing. And there's two key points that might help this all make sense. One is that enlightenment awakening is not something we accomplish. It's something that is revealed. 
through practice. It's something that clarifies. And second, there's nobody who gets enlightened. Like none of us have a self that gets enlightened. So I want to break that out a little bit and see how this relates to renunciation. And the first is this idea that enlightenment is not something we accomplish, but it's something that we reveal, that that emerges through practice. And in our, you know, selfing, we often, many of us, tend to make awakening kind of a project, you know, something we're trying to accomplish. We sort of strive for awakening. We search for spiritual experience. We try to make ourselves into an awakened being. And that can be a whole lot of selfing around that. And it's an attitude of sort of building something or accumulation. And sometimes it's tricky because it can fall apart. You know, if you think you're trying to make this thing, if that's the way you start to see it, then it can start to seem artificial. And people have these like crises of faith when they sort of created this little castle in their minds and then it doesn't hold together when things get hard. But actually awakening is not like that. It's really, it's really recognizing. There's a sense in which, and this is maybe a little bit of a Mahayana view, but our innate nature, our Buddha nature, it's already awakened. I mean, there's this wonderful phrase in the numerical discourses where the Buddha says, the mind is luminous, obscured by visiting defilements. One little sentence in the numerical discourse that people have been debating forever, and some people think that's sort of a lot of the root of Mahayana view but the mind is luminous, obscured by visiting defilements. So there's a sense that underneath all this stuff that clogs us up, there is some luminous nature, just a nature of awareness. And that's something you probably, you know, you see in your mindfulness practice as you kind of, you're aware of stuff and it comes and goes and comes and goes and you sort of start to see, oh, that's just that crap again. Oh, that's that pattern again. And slowly, slowly, we realize that's not me, that's just that pattern again. And slowly, slowly, you get more ease around your complications. They don't take you down so much. So these obscure obscurations, visiting defilements, maybe accumulated over lifetimes, and they kind of are in the way of the sun of our awakened mind. It's like in the Northwest, you know, it's like, you ever take a plane in November and it's been like completely dark for like two weeks and suddenly you pop out of the clouds. I was like, holy crap, the sun's been there the entire time. It's kind of like that, you know? It's kind of like that's how we are with our stuff. So these obscurations, this relates to renunciation because these are often they're about our traumas and woundings and all kinds of stuff, but they're also about our clinging and our attachments and the ways, the things we stick to Keep those clouds thick. And so this renunciation helps thin them. It releases, it untangles the very thing that keeps the lid on. And related to that is this understanding that there's no, there's no I that is awakened. And that's a tricky one, you know, because in a lot of, it's just this incredible dance or this journey to, it's very, very much a part of our process is to see through this sense of I. And at the same time, whatever striving we're doing or, you know, some moment of illumination happens, we can kind of grab onto it and go, Oh, I, ooh, ah, I just, I just saw something, you know, and get all pumped up and 
and uh, kind of fall down again <laughs> just because we grasped onto it. So this, you know, as, as, as in our insight practice, we see that this sense of self is, is just a construct. It's made up of form, perception, feelings, volition, and consciousness. And it's a sticky sense of self that creates the murk, the obscurations that keep us from awakening. So that's another, we talked about it last time. This is a way in which you can look at there's the five skandhas or the five aggregates in, in the arena of renunciation because we hold on to those aspects of ourselves. We, you know, hold them close to our hearts and think that's me and don't want to let go. And we hold on to our identity as self. And that can be in the way that can be in the way. That's part of what we see in practice. It's almost, it's almost like a way to look at, and I was saying that introducing the siddhas this evening, a way to look at mindfulness practice is renunciation. You can kind of look at it through that lens. And when something comes up, you're letting go, letting go, letting go. You know, it's a way to help keep freeing yourself. So it's, it's, you know, for any of us, when we get a little glimmer of awakening or insight, which is great, but if you find the very next thing, we're saying, oh, I did that, then it's a good place to let go right through that because that's a place we can get stuck. We're, we're buying into a sense of self that's the very, the opposite of what the freedom of awakening is. So we awaken by parting the clouds of selfing the clouds of obscuration. And that's another way of saying renunciation, just letting go of all that stuff. And as we go deeper into our practice, renunciation starts to take on a kind of more ultimate meaning. So it's not just renouncing attachments to fancy sports cars or, you know, a week on the beach or whatever. It's just recognizing that that none of this stuff ultimately takes us anywhere. And the ultimate renunciation is shedding anything we cling to. And that lets awakening arise. Now, I'm going to shift over. Some of you may be familiar with this, the 16 steps of Anapanasati, which is mindfulness of breathing. And this touches on that. So forgive me if it sounds too technical, but it, it, it's like it echoes the same, the same thing we're exploring. And what this is, is anybody familiar with that? I should do a check. Yes, no, some, a little bit. How about there? Yeah, a little bit. Okay, so uh, super briefly, there's this great sutta where, I'm trying to remember this exactly. Anyway, the Buddha is talking to a bunch of monastics, and he, he says that there's a, a the practice he does is this anapanasati, the 16 steps of mindfulness of breathing, and lays it all out. And it basically goes from being being aware of uh, a body and a series of things, and ends up in a very subtle area of impermanence. The 16 are divided into four tetrads. And the final three elements of the fourth tetrad are in the same arena we're talking about. So trying to get it simple, just three things. Forget about the 16, just three things. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but there's this great book, Noble Truths, Noble Path, which Bhikkhu Bodhi 
brought out in February, and I highly recommend it. It's really cool. It's this little uh, kind of compilation of excerpts from the Sumyutta Nikaya woven together. It's just really nice and short. But he links the factors of awakening to the last of these 16 steps in terms of renunciation. He says the standard formula for enlightenment factor says, with regard to each, that it is based on seclusion, I'm reading, based on seclusion, based on dispassion, based on cessation, evolving towards relinquishment. We might see the terms seclusion, dispassion, and cessation as representing the goal toward which one aspires and evolving toward relinquishment as indicating the inherent capacity of those factors to culminate in that goal. Maybe out of context, that's a little heavy going. But he's talking about these last stages of the 16 steps, and he's in a sense referring to renunciation. And I'll I'll walk us through it and see if this makes sense to you. So the first of these three things, we're going to just touch on briefly the 14th of the 16th is dispassion, dispassion, viraga. You can see how this is related to renunciation because as we go deeper into practice, attachment and clinging fade away. Ajahn Buddhadasa talks about this step and he says, we can observe this quite easily, for example, as our erotic love for things to which we were once attached begins to fade. Anger toward past or even present objects of our displeasure dissolve away. We are no longer afraid of the things we once feared. So there's a sense of getting less attached, less dispassion, you know, less passionate about the things we normally stick to. And this is getting subtler because the next step is cessation. Naroda nupasi. And it becomes clearer that renunciation is distilling away forms of attachment. So we're, we're not, so we're stopping being attached. It's like a next step in our practice and bringing us closer to where these clouds of obscuration melt away. We were talking about, and the sun shines in. Buddha Dasa says, we observe the cessation of attachment, the non-existence of attachment while breathing in, breathing in and breathing out. We can observe quenching or cessation from a variety of perspectives. The quenching of attachment to self, the quenching of selfishness, the quenching of greed, anger, and delusion, and the quenching of all experiences of dukkha. So you can see the parallel there, you know, about how renunciation and this this cessation, they're very closely linked. Because when we renounce, when we let go, then this sense of grasping ceases. And, you know, if you just think back on the Four Noble Truths, life is suffering dukkha, not because it's pleasant or unpleasant, because that's just pain or not, but because how we misperceive the nature of things, that's what makes us suffer. And the second Noble Truth says, the reason why we misperceive is clinging to self and other. That's that's another way of looking at the grasping that renunciation lets go of. So here Buddhadasa is pointing to this non-existence of attachment, an ultimate sense of renunciation, as the very thing that will free us from suffering through the quenching of all experiences of dukkha. He writes, 
Thus, when we realize the voidness or non-existence of attachment through the quenching, disappearing, and ending of attachment, we experience the absence of attachment in any of the aspects mentioned below while we breathe in and breathe out. Or more simply, we drink, taste, and savor the flavor of Nibbana. Thus, to contemplate the quenching of attachment is to contemplate Nibbana. Now right there, he's kind of linking, you know, renunciation to Nibbana. Just saying, that's what gets us there. And this 16th step is a real curious word. Patini, this is in Pali, I cannot begin to pronounce it, but Sagunapasi, which means throwing back or giving back. It's a way of describing liberation that and ultimate renunciation that not only did we let go of attachment, we just kind of throw it back like we don't want it anymore. You know, it's just like a real, a real freedom there. It's this really interesting image. Buddhadasa says, we suffer dukkha because of all our attachment and thieving. As soon as we observe the way things really are through the succession of steps in this tetrad, we let go. We cease being thieves. We return everything to its original owner, nature. It all belongs to nature. Don't claim anything to be I or mine ever again. So this is kind of, I hope this works because it really jumped out at me. It's, it's like a, like an elegant sense of what renunciation is. How you can see how it really takes us right to the end of the path and how it's really laid out there in this beautiful Anapanasati practice, which is one of the core ways of looking at, at how we do our practice. So it's gone, you know, far beyond renunciation in a worldly sense, which we were talking about the first time, just in terms of how we navigate life to really bringing us into awakening itself to the very goal of the teachings. And as, you know, as, as we practice, kind of keep that in our hearts, a sense of things, things get less sticky, our grasping gets less sticky, we get freer and freer. And in the last session, we talked away, talked about falling away of renunciation, how it becomes more like an easeful thing. It's not something we're trying to do. It just happens of itself. And here we can kind of see how this might work. This ultimate renunciation is an ultimate freeing because we're not stuck anywhere. And this letting go just happens inherently because what's to be stuck to? You know, what's the point? It just doesn't grab us anymore. Almost done here. The Buddha said, but monks, talking about himself, the Tathagata, the Arhat, the perfectly enlightened one, having known as they really are the origin and the passing away, the enjoyment, the danger, and the escape in the case of forms, does not delight in forms, is not delighted with forms, does not rejoice in forms. With the change fading away and cessation of forms, the Tathagata dwells happily. Remember earlier on, he was saying when these things change, most beings, <coughs> they suffer because they thought the form was going to bring them happiness and it didn't. But the, ta- the Tathagata, the Buddha, dwells happily, having known as they really are the origin and passing away, the enjoyment, the danger and escape in the case of sounds, in the case of odors, of tastes, of tactile objects, of mental objects. The Tathagata does not delight in mental objects, is not delighted with mental objects, does not rejoice in mental objects. With a change fading away and cessation of mental objects, the Tathagata falls happily. Let's just sit for a minute here.
So I just kind of love that, you know, just like he's saying, no matter how everything is falling apart around him, that the Tathagata, the, the Buddha, dwells happily. And, you know, we all have experiences of everything falling apart around us or not working out the way we want it. And to be able to dwell happily in the middle of that is its equanimity, its awakening, and we can really, I think, explore renunciation as part of our path, as part of how we get there. 